The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we review a dramatic victory north of the border. We preview the home Copa Tejas match this week against FC Dallas, and we'll cover a few other pieces of Austin FC and MLS news. My name is Landon Cottom. I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody, I'm Jeremiah Bentley, and I am sitting one year and one day past the first match at Q2 Stadium, which seems like a million years ago and yesterday, both at the same Doesn't time. Doesn't it? Wow. It seems like way longer than a year ago. I <laughs> uh, know. Yeah. And uh, that was the, I think, we, of course, we talked about this on the show. That, um, that TIFO for the first match, I think is the thing I probably remember the most about it. Just like I had not seen it. I had heard about it and like seeing that thing go up and how massive it was and sort of the reaction to that and everything that went along with it. I think that was the most memorable part of the first day in the stadium for me. Yeah, that was pretty special. Like that was great. Um man, I don't know. I think just hearing like the sound in there was really special as well cuz we'd gone to like the little like song and chant practice that they let the Morga have at the stadium. And to hear the sound in there that day was pretty special, but to hear it all come together on that game was was really great. Um but yeah, like, I don't know. I like, has it, it still feels pretty special every time I walk into the stadium. Do you still feel that way? Yeah, yeah, I do. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it's still, it's still magical every time, every time you walk in, like, and it's been a good experience fan-wise and like sound-wise and atmosphere, you know, every, almost every match. I mean, even include, including, we were in the press box against Pachuca and it was a little bit of a light crowd. Like the supporter section was still loud. Yeah, so I don't know that I'll ever get tired of that. Now, I do remember also the other thing I remember about it is like Kurt Lammers having to disappear like two hours before the match <laughs> and go get right? locked into a room. Yeah, he's like a hop squad. Yeah, he's like a, he's like at hop squad. He's like, I got to go and you'll understand why here in a little bit. <laughs> and then to see him come out with McConaughey and do the whole the whole drum thing before the match was pretty amazing, too. Yeah, Kurt's got a pretty pretty good racket going there. He gets to meet all of the famous people because he knows the most about drums, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully he's got uh, some other qualifications, I think. He's also just like a cool dude that I think the front office probably trusts to leave celebrities in his presence. <laughs> but uh yeah, no, like going back to the stadium bit though, like I think we're of course gonna be enamored of the stadium when we first got there because it's brand new and it's ours. But a year in, like, I think it's settling and like I, we can trust from a, like an objective level that like, it's just a really nice stadium. It's like a good place to watch a soccer game. Yeah. And everybody, everybody loves it. I mean, we've heard from so many people who are disappointed about having to wait, what it was like a month between the last or almost a month between the last time we were in that stadium and then this upcoming weekend. And then, you know, it's a while till we're there again. And I, last year it did get to be a little bit of a drag. You know, when we were doing like those three game weeks and stuff like yeah. that, and it was super hot. But I think under a normal schedule, like people just can't get enough of it. Yeah, I agree. I'm 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 one of those people. All right, let's jump into uh, a bit of we're actually instead of Austin FC news, we're going to start with some MLS news. So we've been waiting for MLS to sign a new TV deal. All of the MLS teams were told not to sign local TV deals past the 2022 season. So the end of this season, 
Um, but it was a, a big mystery what the new TV deal was going to look like. And there's uh, people in the know, people kind of reporting on on that side of the MLS business were mostly pretty pessimistic about what was going to come out. And yeah. it yeah. seems like the deal that came, which was announced last week, is like way better than anybody expected. And so do you do you want to run us through the details of of the uh, the new TV deal signed with Apple TV? Yeah, let's get into that. Now, I just wanted to go back to that point. I mean, the people that we know, we read and listen to and know that uh, talk about, um, you know, that talk about the what to expect. I feel like they were really trying to set us up for not being disappointed in in what was going to come out, and then it was it was amazing. So, I mean, the basics of it: it's on Apple TV. It's ten years, two hundred not two hundred fifty billion. Ten years, two point five billion dollars. Two hundred fifty billion dollars a year um, includes all matches through the platform. So there's both uh, no blackout restrictions or anything like that. Um, mostly, they're going to be games on Saturdays and Wednesdays. Um, I think they said to... all of them will be Saturdays and Wednesdays unless there's like um, a venue issue. So maybe NYCFC has to play a game on a Sunday <laughs> because the Yankees are in town on Saturday or whatever. But um, it seems like they're going to have like regular times and regular days for the games, which I, I, I'm really excited about that part. Yeah, and then there was a thing in there about the the uh, subscription service being available free to season ticket holders of MLS clubs, which I thought was really interesting and uh, very exciting. Yeah, and that was so. There's some confusion on that point online whether or not you have to have a subscription to Apple TV Plus to get that benefit. Um, I think I understand the answer, but essentially Apple TV, and you also don't have to own an Apple product to do this. So Apple TV is an app that you can get on any smart TV, any like streaming TV device. So your Roku, your uh, like Android smart TV, whatever it is, you can get this Apple TV app. Apple TV plus is like a streaming subscription you can get. And then there are these, added apps within the app that you can get. Um, so MLB is, is a sport that they now have. You can buy this MLB extension, essentially. You don't have to be a su- subscriber to Apple TV Plus in order to buy these extensions. And so if you are an Austin FC season ticket holder, you don't have to pay anything. You essentially just have to have access to this app that you can download for free, which is excellent. I was thinking it was going to be like, okay, you have to subscribe to Apple TV plus, and then you get access to it. No, On no, no, no. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's free, 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 free. Yeah. So what do you think that means? Like uh, this, this deal? I mean, it's obviously more money. That's good. That's where we think it's more money. And there's still, and they're still negotiating, right? With like, um, linear broadcasters for some television packages. And the prediction was that maybe even ESPN, some of the Spanish language, channels would have almost as many games as they have now in addition to what's in the apple package yeah so it seems like univision will almost certainly have some games it seems like espn will almost certainly have some games and then fox seems to also be in the running still according to the reporting of folks like sam stayskull uh jonathan tannenwald some other like national national guys reporting on this um but the difference is it won't be exclusive so any game that's on ESPN, that's on Univision, that's on Fox Sports or whatever, 
will also still be on Apple TV. And so if you have your Apple TV thing set up, there's a game on ESPN, you don't have ESPN. Normally you'd have to like go to a bar, find a friend, steal your aunt's login, whatever it is to watch it. That's not going to be the case anymore. If you have your Apple TV set up to to have the games, you can still watch the ESPN game, but still on Apple TV. And so when they say like no blackouts, it's like actually no blackouts. Legitimate. Can, every game, every team you'll be able to watch on that app. So we won't all have to go back to Google to that like Google search and how to like trick Chrome into thinking you're in a different city to get around a blackout like so many of us have to do on so many matches. Yeah. Um, so as far as like what this means for the league, is it, is it a good thing or a bad thing? I'd like I think for diehard fans, for like big time MLS fans or fans of at least one MLS team, this is an amazing deal. Like this is great. It's way better. We're going to know when the games are what like a range of times that the games will be we'll be able to watch all of them we don't have to jump around on these different things i think where it's maybe not so good is for bringing in casual fans um because you have to go specifically specifically to this place to watch these games and so you're not going to get the people uh flipping through the channels or watching another sporting event and then this comes on and they just leave the channel on like that's not going to happen anymore you have to go out of your way to watch these games but it seems like that wasn't really happening anyway right (laughs) yeah if you look at the ratings for mls matches like in the context of the programs around them people were actively turning their tvs off you know they were like watching women's college basketball and the mls matches were coming on and they were turning away from it so i don't think the model as it sits through this year was really picking up a lot of people either so what what was your reaction? Are are you are do you feel positive about this? Yeah, I mean I feel I feel really excited. I feel when I saw the numbers, I felt so excited about it. I've immediately started wondering what I was missing out on because it's just <laughs> it seemed like too good of a seemed like too good of a deal to be true given what I had read from like Sam Stagecoach and Paul Tenorio and uh, you know the the numbers we knew about what we had now and like stuff like blackouts and just and all the channels and the fact that it would be available on a single platform anytime and the the difference in terms of uh, the money that they were getting yeah it seemed like an amazing deal yeah it almost seems like it's a, like not a good deal for apple to be doing this but i think they're just like wanting to maybe be a pioneer in this new space because i i don't watch any other sports really but am i right in in my thinking that this is kind of the first league that's done this that's gone straight streaming like there's not any other sports leagues that have done that right not only streaming i mean obviously major league baseball has that but major league baseball has also has a bunch of regional right broadcasts a bunch of local right. regional broadcasts that's so very different so yeah i mean it's a new it's a new and different thing and maybe that's the um maybe it's the thing that will set this league apart and position it for growth is the fact that they are finally taking sort of a unique position in the market uh, from every other league and not just following along with what everybody else is doing. Yeah. So MLS gets this huge, like huge, um, bump in money that they're getting out of their TV deal. Apple gets this league essentially to, to be a a guinea pig on this new concept that they're trying. Um, as far as the content, I'm also very excited about what this means for the content. So MLS is actually going to be running the production of all of the games and the content that is going to be on Apple TV. The timeline of that makes me really nervous. They have like eight months to get this all up. <laughs> oh yeah. To get it going. 
But yeah. as far as like what they've been able to do, like say what you, there's a lot of things to complain about with MLS and how it's run, but the media arm part of it is for the most part, pretty well done. Uh, and with a bigger budget, I could see it being really good. And with you, when you're watching on ESPN, it's essentially like at best you get Taylor Twelman with a five minute pregame show and then straight to the game. As soon as the game's over, it goes to funny car racing or whatever. And on Fox, you maybe get a little bit better with like a 20 or 30 minute run up to the game. This is going to have that with like all of the games. They're going to they're going to have other content being played throughout the day that you can go back and watch. Uh, they're going to have a. Uh, what are they calling it? Like a swing around show? Uh, Something like that. Something around. I, I don't remember the, I I remember can't the first remember the part terminology, yeah. but it's going to be essentially kind of what they were doing with US Open Cup. If you're watching any of that the last few weeks where they'll have some in-studio hosts just kind of throwing it around to the exciting parts of all the games that are happening, which like for me, who like I mainly care about one team, but really want to know what's going on with the rest of the league. Instead of pick, picking one or two games to watch over a weekend, I'll watch that show and just catch all the highlights live as it's going on. I'm pumped about that. Like, I think that's going to be awesome. Yeah, I'm really excited to see how it plays out. Um, you know, the, the skeptic that we saw in the whole, this whole deal was Ethan Finley, uh, Austin FC player. And is he, is he the player rep for the... Uh, for the union for Austin or he has been uh, involved in the past. I I think he's like actually not just for Austin, but like on some council or board for the whole league. So not necessarily just for Austin, but he's like in a pretty high position in the players association period. And so what he was saying is like, this looks promising, but I'll be interested to see the details as they shake out as it, um, as it goes toward, the increase in player spending. And so starting in 2023, there is a, a part of the, the new CBA that was agreed is that 12.5% of any gains in this TV deal will go towards the salary budget, essentially. So it's going to be a way for players to be making more money on the whole. What Ethan was saying is, okay, yeah, we're seeing this $250 million over the span of these 10 years, it's not necessarily $250 million every year. Some of that's going to be backloaded probably. And so this first year, maybe it's a little less or significantly less. And then because MLS is paying for a lot of this production cost out of this money, whatever's left over will then be divvied up into that pot. And so that's the stuff that Ethan Finley was like, okay, this is great, but we need more details before I can say like I'm for this or not because there's a lot of details that are essentially going to determine how much more players are going to get paid next year. Yeah, I think if you talk about the backloading, I assume that the big reason Apple would do this is that this deal runs past the 2026 World Cup and I think they have to be banking on like explosive growth in soccer in this country beyond that appearance yeah. in order to make this make sense, which I, you know, I think it's smart for the league to go ahead and take, basically take the money now on the promise that it will grow. And I believe there's that this is, some, there are some kind of minimums in there in, in this deal, right? So that if the if, 2. If 5, does grow, if it does grow beyond like sort of projections, then there will be more money coming back in. Yeah. The 2.5 billion over the 10 years is the minimum. And so if MLS 
then surpasses a threshold of subscriptions, then part of that money will start coming back towards MLS as well. And so I would imagine that threshold would need to be pretty low for MLS to surpass that. I don't <laughs> yeah. see a lot of random fans subscribing to this, but um, but yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I, I think, again, for the diehard fan, for better content, for better narrative and storytelling around the league, I think this is a great deal. For um, random people tuning into a random game because the TV was on or because they get interested in one storyline, maybe this isn't a great deal. But I'm, I'm, my hope is that the improved content, the improved storytelling around the league because of more freedom in, in the creation of the content, I'm hoping that will just stir up more interest in the league that will then start to leak out into other uh other broadcast stuff. Maybe Apple brings in more sports in the future and then you get some of the crossover viewing. But I, yeah, I personally am really excited about this and can't wait for it to start. Yeah. And I have too. And you lose the casual viewer. We've probably talked about this longer than we should, but I mean, you lose the casual viewer who's like watching a game on ESPN, but you also pick up the casual viewer who happens to be an Apple plus subscriber who maybe is or isn't into sports, who I assume is going to see MLS and MLS storylines and things like that, like prominently featured on their home menu. So maybe that's where you pick up. Yeah. You may pick up as many casuals as you lose. Just it's a different set of people. One more thing worth mentioning here is that no more local TV broadcasts will be happening. So I, I think different people will feel different ways about this. Um, local MLS broadcasts are not all created equal, as you've heard us probably say, as we hired Adrian Healy and Mike LaHood to do the Austin broadcasts. Um, but it probably means it's like means potentially Adrian and Mike are out of a job next year. Uh, I would guess that maybe someone with the credentials of Adrian would get, he'd be in the, he would like be in the pool of, yeah. Cause there's going to be like 10 to 14 broad, like announcers doing all of the games nationally. You would, you would think Adrian at least get an interview for that spot. Um, Mike LaHood hasn't been doing this that long. Maybe he doesn't. And that kind of sucks. Like some of these people, like other Brian Dunseth and RSL, like he's, he's a guy that I really like and really respect his work. What happens to him? Like what happens to these guys in these, in these markets who have been doing this and their fans know and love them? Like that kind of sucks. But, um, I think overall, like I'm, I'm into it, but I I think there is going to be some unfortunate, um, casualties like that. All right, let's move on to uh, some other Austin FC news, and I guess we can say maybe rumors. Um, so Diego Serrati, is that his name? Is that the agent's name? Yeah, that's his name. Okay, this is Rodney Reddy's agent. He's also Cecilia Dominguez's agent, and is he Romagna's agent as he well? He's Romagna's agent too, yes. Okay, so he was heard saying on a Paraguayan radio show recently that uh, he wants to see Rodney Reddy's at another team and kind of... Um, suggested that he and Rodney had decided that this this is what was yeah. going to happen. Yeah, the, the quote was he agreed to. If we what does it say? Uh, we agreed to see him at another team, and I like I don't know who the we is in this situation, but clearly it's Diego and Rodney, and not Diego and Austin FC. Right. Yeah. The even in in Spanish, the way that I'm reading it, like it's I, like I didn't get to hear the whole interview. I think that maybe would have given some more context, but I have actually listened to some interviews with this guy. And he's very much like, he probably said it in a way intentionally that was a little bit vague. <laughs> um, but yeah, it wasn't super clear. But 
the, it seems like he's angling for Rodney to leave Austin. I mean, I think at this point, like, I think it's fair to to kind of wash your hands of Rodney Reddiz if you're Austin FC and and vice versa. Like, Rodney's probably not super happy with the situation either. Like, I think this would be a win win if if they could find Rodney another club this summer. I think it. I think it would be. I just don't see how the money works, given how much they paid for Rodney and Rodney's market value. Now, like, do you think they would be willing to? I understand there's such a thing as a sunk cost fallacy, but do you think they would be willing to eat a significant portion of their investment and just decide that it's never going to pan out? Yeah, I mean, like, the options you have are you go for a loan, which if somebody's not willing to take on all of his salary, then you're still paying some of his salary anyway. And so if you're doing that for one or two more years, however long his contract is, is it worth selling him for a quarter of the cost you bought him for or whatever that works out? Like there's some accounting to be done there, but I think there's there's definitely a number of money lost on the deal that they would be willing to accept at this point. Yeah, that's, if for that's, nothing else, just to open the roster spot up, right? Because yeah. he's taking one of those U twenty two spots. Those spots are valuable and can be useful for for teams like Austin. Yeah, that's a really good point on that. They, if this if this experiment is finally we finally give up on it, there's there's a lot of other places they can go, and they should have the flexibility to do it. Uh, other news that we're seeing is uh, Johan Valencia. We kind of speculated that maybe there was an injury after not seeing him suit up for the Pachuca match. And that was confirmed last week. He had surgery on uh, his meniscus, which is cartilage in your knee. It sounds like he's going to be out. Is it like four to six weeks? Is that what they're saying? That's well, they never actually, the team never lists like a projected return, but that seems to be everything that we've heard about it is that yeah, the official announcement just says that he underwent, he successfully underwent a procedure to repair a torn lateral meniscus in his right knee, an injury which he suffered during training, which reminds me, every press release I've ever seen says that it was a successful surgery. I don't think I've ever read one that said, <laughs> said anything else. Um, but as, yeah, As a knee surgery expert, having had one myself, uh, meniscus surgery is one of the more minor ones that you can do. I know I had guys on my high school football team who had meniscus surgery the week after a game they would miss four games and then be back and playing in that fifth game, not just like training, but like playing in that fifth game. So it is a pretty quick turnaround depending on how, how it goes, but this is not by any means Valencia out for the season. I'd, I'd say like worst case scenario, six or seven weeks, but potentially earlier than that. Yeah. It's, it's inconvenient right now, given the things that we'll get into with the roster, but it's, yeah, I don't think it's anything like long-term that people need to worry a lot about. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right. Any other news before we jump into the Montreal match? No, let's get into the Montreal match. All right. So going into Montreal, this was uh, uh, some interesting roster things we were looking out for. One thinking, we were thinking Danny Pereira wasn't going to be able to go. We find out a couple of days before that maybe he is going to get to go. And then we didn't really get it confirmed until the day of when he pops up on the team sheet. But for whatever reason, and this is Josh Wolf has seemed to be uh, vague on this intentionally, but Danny Pereira is uh, seeking asylum from the U.S. government, has not been granted that status yet, which is why he couldn't go to Canada last year, but got permission somehow this year to go. And so ended up being on the starting lineup. 
So I read this. Chris Bills did an interview with Danny. I think it was after the match. Um, and there's a quote that is as specific as I've seen about that. And he says, he, he being Danny here, credited Austin FC Director of Sporting Operations, Andrew DeLalo, with coordinating a safe entry to Canada. Working with lawyers, Pereira has his request accepted and earned a stamp on his Venezuelan passport that will expire in the coming days. So it sounds like this was like a one-time exception that maybe when we play in Canada again, he can get again, but... Um, like a that, one week visa or something. Yeah, something, like that. yeah, something really obscure like that. But that that was that's the story on how he managed to to make it to this match. Yeah, so that was one of the the surprises we saw in the starting lineup. I think the other one, other spots that we were maybe interested in seeing were fullbacks, which is kind of always the case. It seems like for Austin games, but we saw John Gallagher and Hector Jimenez start at fullback. I think after the Pachuca game. Seeing that one, I was not surprised that these two guys got to start <laughs> because Jean and Nick Lima both looked pretty bad in that game. Yeah, absolutely. And have had some poor games even before the international break. Uh, and then we saw uh, Gabriel Sinicascante, then Danny Pereira, Alex Ring, Drew C in the midfield, Fagundes, Uruti, and Wolf uh, in the forward positions. There's uh, some surprises on the bench as well. We saw um, Johan Romagna in place of Kip Keller, which has not re- not been the case for most of the games. And then, uh, was there any other? Was there another surprise? I don't. I don't know. There was. A, oh, I think that was it. Maybe. Yeah, I think that was it. I mean, I think Gta made it again. So Gta appears to have pushed himself ahead of Husen, um, as far as the second striker option. Because I don't think Danny was on the bench. He was on the bench. Oh, he was. Okay. So it's. Whose spot has he been taking? Some, um, I guess Valencia's this time, probably. Yeah, but Ro- there was a few times when like Rodney wasn't on the bench, and Husen and Rome, uh, Husen and Gite both were, and so this time it was uh, because Valencia's gone. There was room for all those people. Still no Stroud. We haven't seen. Have we seen Stroud on a single bench this year? I don't think he's made it at all. Wow. That's kind of wild after the fact that he was starting for us at the beginning and end of last season. <laughs> and that we you know, let him go and re-signed him. I just keep thinking that when we re-signed yeah. him, clearly we thought that there was going to be some purpose with that, but not so much. Yeah. I'd be that that's one of those that I'll be very curious to to hear the story of five or ten years from now, whenever people are willing to talk about it. <laughs> So Austin FC ends up winning 1-0. Uh, the goal comes from Maxi Ruti in the 67th minute. They are a man down at this point because of a Danny Pereira red card that we'll get into here in a moment. Uh, it's a big switch to John Gallagher, played from Hector Jimenez. He plays it forward to Drusi and then makes a run up the, the left sideline. Drusi plays a really nice pass. Did, did you see the replay of that pass? I did. I, I watched the whole... Uh, the like the five minute MLS preview video again today, or actually right before we came on to recording. And that pass is beautiful. The other thing I noticed is like in that video, every Austin offensive highlight, Sebastian Jerusi was in that somewhere. He was either, uh, he was either involved in the attack or was the person taking the shot. I'm starting to think this guy's pretty good. I think he may be. Uh, but yeah, he plays this really nice, like outside of the foot, it it seems like he shouldn't have been able to get that much power on the pass to play it out in front of Gallagher, but Springs Gallagher, uh, he has a defender on him. And so I think he knows he's not going to be able to 
to like push past him. He has a look up, sees Uruti on the backside, kind of holding a run behind uh, Montreal's back line. Plays in a really nice low early cross behind the back line, finds Uruti in the box. Uruti takes one touch to set himself up and then dinks it over the on-rushing keeper and then celebrates the goal. This is a thing that like, a thing that kind of annoys me sometimes is when players played for another team for one season or two seasons and they refuse to celebrate, like make a big show out of not celebrating. Maxi didn't care. He just went up and hugged his teammates and they did the little like voodoo fingers dance. And like, I thought that was great. Like, <laughs> I think it's dumb when players don't celebrate. Yeah, I did too. And in like in the post game, people were still like loving him and hugging on him and stuff like Montreal fans. So clearly like his celebration did not turn them off or anything. Um, I thought it was, did you look at the, did you see the X goal in that shot? Uh, which, which yeah, we probably think, talk about too much. It was really high. It was 0. 0.41. Which this is this is one of the flaws of ex- the expected goals model. It's not typed in by a human. This is like it's an algorithm, and so I think they see like the distance from goal, the distance from the goalkeeper. They didn't. They they don't take into account like the touch he made beforehand, the chip over the keeper. So like. If you're if a human was scoring that goal, it would have been lower. But yeah, this is one of the flaws of the expected goals model. Yeah, I was just thinking like that was I was shocked that it was that that was so high because of all the things you just said. Like it was such a clever finish, and it feels like it's almost detracting from it to have it like rated that high. Yeah, Maxi is like he's probably the player this year that has surprised me how much he has endeared himself to me. Like I did not expect to like Maxi Ruti so much at this point in the season. <laughs> Later on in the game, he's like yelling at the ref, and he's he's just him and Felipe are just those guys. Like if if you've I talked about myself having like that like the Mama Hen energy. It seems like Ruti and Felipe have that. Like it's like you've wronged my guy, and I'm gonna let you know about <laughs> it right now. And Maxi was doing that all game, which is great. Um, Danny Pereira's red. We've We've referenced it several times. So the first one comes early in the game. Was it? Um, to the sixth minute. Sixth minute. Okay, it's yeah. It bad, comes, bad pass from Cascante. Yeah. So that one on Julio. And then if you watch like the post-match video, like the, the story of the match video that Austin puts out usually after games, uh, Julio says that in his, his post-game speech to the team. He's like, that one's on me. My bad, y'all. Uh, but he misreads Danny's intentions. Danny's kind of checking to him and then runs further up the field. Julio doesn't notice that he's running further up the field, plays just a really weak pass that just falls straight to a guy. And uh, the guy's running at Austin's back line, and Danny just kind of has to do something, grabs his shoulder, pulls him back, easy yellow. Um, so that one is on Julio. The second one comes in the 44th minute, I believe. This one was just a really stupid foul. We give up the ball. I think we were on like kind of a counterattack. And so Montreal players are flying back towards their own goal. We give up the ball toward like around just like just outside the box. And I, I counted there are nine Montreal players within 35, 40 yards of their own goal, meaning there are only two any higher than that. And I don't think either of them were much higher than that. And Danny comes and takes out uh, uh, Schwanier, I think is the guy's name, just comes and takes him out like he's like 
the last man running at goal and obvious yellow card. Like I, I think there's no doubt that that's a yellow, but it was just stupid. It didn't need to happen. There, there was no danger there. I think the worst, worst case scenario is that someone has to expend undue energy to slow the play down until people can recover. But like, I don't know. It was just dumb. Like it's, it's another inexperienced mistake on Danny's part there. Yeah. And his, he talked to Bill in that Bill's interview too. Uh, he says, we were in there half, so I thought I would get away with it, he said, of the tackle, which is not the greatest explanation for why you go ahead and make one. I think it's one of these things that like, I think he's had it baked into him over the offseason. Like, you need to be more aggressive. Uh, you need to close space faster. You, in these transition moments, you need to react faster. And I think he's gotten so much better at those things, but hasn't quite learned to like harness it and when to unleash and when to hold back. And this is one of those moments where he needs to realize where the ball is on the field, what the scenario is and that he's on a yellow already and just hold up and let it go. Like realize like, yeah, this might be dangerous, but I just need to let it go. And it's, it's really frustrating, but I think the kid's still not 22. He's, he's 21 years old. Growth is not a linear thing. Like, it's not a straight line. There's going to be ups and downs. You just hope that that line is trending upwards. It's like if you look at stock market stuff, like there's always peaks and troughs and stuff going, but you hope that line is trending upwards. And I think with Danny Prayer, it still is. Like there's just, there's going to be down periods. And I think maybe he's in one of those right now, but uh, it's to be expected with players as young as he is. Yeah, I think a couple, another thing I wanted to talk about were like Kai, Kai Kamara's two chances um, against. They kept saying former teammate Brad Stuber. So they played together in Columbus, I guess. They played in Columbus. Okay. Yeah. So there's one in 28 that, like, um, that was the one where I don't, I don't know if Stuber even really saw the ball or the shot. I think he was just like trying to anticipate where was what was going on. And Kamara had that one come off his right foot. Um, that was not the greatest attempt that Stuber. That was the one saving. off the corner, right? Yeah, it was off the corner. Yeah, yeah. And no, I, Kamara should have done way better with that. <laughs> for sure, there was um, that. One. There was that one, and then uh, I think in '53, early in the second half, he had another shot at point blank range, where like Cascante pulled the dummy on that ball. Like Julio should have shut that off and like somehow missed and stepped over the top of it. Yeah, that one was bad from Julio. And then, uh, um, it, go ahead. No, go for it. I was going to say, and then that, the thing I loved about that one is like Kamara kissed Stuver on the head <laughs> when Stuver <laughs> yeah. was on the ground with the ball for that. So clearly they still have a beautiful relationship. Yeah. So looking at the, we just talked crap about expected goals, but I think it's interesting in this game. The final numbers were 1.4 for Montreal, 1.5 for Austin. Austin only had five shots total, whereas Montreal had 11. But both teams had two shots on target. But if you just looking at those expected goals number, I think maybe you take, like we said, you take a few points off of the Uruti's goal because that was harder than what XG would suggest here. Um, But Austin created good chances, although they didn't create that many chances. The ones they did create were quite good. Uh, But yeah, Kamara wasted 
a couple probably and then you you should think that maybe Montreal was a little bit sloppy in this game and um should have done a bit better but all of Austin's I think all but one of their chances of their shots were above like 0.25 expected goals which is if you look at the ones that we've been scoring a lot of them have been around that range so a lot of although not many chances but the ones that were created were good um let's talk about the positioning of the midfield so although it was the same three we've become used to seeing with ring Pereira and Driussi the positions were a little bit different. So we saw Ring line up deeper and was playing that number six role, that the role that Danny has been playing most of this season and the role that Ring played most of last season. I thought Ring was great at the six. He looked really good. Yeah, he did. He So he won possession 12 times in the game, which is something, you know, it's just turning the ball over, turning the ball back over on our side. Um, he looked really strong doing that. And then uh, the other thing we noted again on card business is that he played his fifth straight match without a yellow which gets him which gives him a good behavior incentive and puts him back to three yellow cards on the season and with Valencia out and Danny's uncertain status is really really important too yeah so when we were looking at this before the show he had four games in a row with yellow cards and then five games in a row without which is both sides of that are quite impressive So is there something about being being the number eight in Austin that makes you pick up yellow cards? Because like Ring slotted back and didn't get in it, and now Danny got two. Like what what's going on there? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the answer is. Um, going back to the yellow card though, Danny's yellow cards. We're trying to find out if Danny will miss one game or two games. So with the first yellow card that put him at five on the season. And under the accumulation rule in MLS, if you have five yellow cards, then you're suspended for a game. So with that first one, he's suspended. With the second one being a red card, you also get a suspension for a red card. And so the question that we had was, is, is he, does he sit out one game for accumulation or two games for accumulation and then another one for the red card? I We think by looking at the rules that he's going to have to sit out two games. That seems but we to, haven't gotten that confirmed. <laughs> yeah, we, we've asked people, and nobody knows for sure yet. We won't know, I guess, until the league disciplinary sum- summary comes out later this week, and maybe not even then. But we yeah, know, we, we might know not even go into that much detail then. Yeah, but yeah, definitely he's out versus Dallas. But I think every, we have every reason to believe that he's going to be out two matches in a row, um, which should make for some interesting formations going forward, which we'll talk about in the Dallas preview. So uh, before we... Are there any other match moments of the, just of the match itself we need to talk about before we get into players? Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about the the positional shift there okay. between Ring and Pereira. So I thought Ring was excellent at the six. Danny only got to play a half, so limited sample size here. But he wasn't getting on the ball all that much, which is to be expected when you're playing a bit more advanced. Um, he, he was able to be kind of a release valve a few times. They play the ball up to him. He can turn out of pressure and at the very least, like run a little while until guys can get into position. It didn't always turn into anything, but he was able to just kind of, uh, evade pressure for a moment just so Austin can, could kind of get out of that, that pressure, pressure situation. Um, I still have concerns about his abilities in the final third. 
but like probably not much more than I have about Alex <laughs> Ring in the final third. And so I think Alex Ring is probably better at playing a final ball in those positions. I We haven't seen Danny do much of that. Um, he mostly makes a run, forces players to commit, and then we'll kind of lay a ball off. Whereas Ring is maybe a little better at like seeing those runs through lines and playing little slip passes and things. Um, so I think there's give and take, but for a team who wants to possess the ball, Danny can still be the guy who drops in to help in the buildup. If we're looking to keep the ball, I like that combination, honestly. Like maybe we're giving up something in the final third, but if you can just keep the ball long enough to get into the final third and then get it to guys like Diego Fagundes, Sebastian Drusi, and Maxi Ruti, like don't worry about your eight scoring a goal. Like let those right. guys do it. Right. Yeah. They've, they've shown plenty of ability to do that so far this year. Yeah. So th- it'll be interesting to see maybe two games from now what they decide to do with that. But it seems like um, maybe that'll that'll be the way forward. Uh, I also wanted to cover a little bit about the defensive performance. So after Austin FC went down a oh man in the second half, they didn't really change a lot about what they did. They didn't make any subs at halftime. So Owen Wolf was on the right wing. What they ended up doing is moving him into central midfield alongside Alex Ring. They put Drusi on the left, put Fagundes on the right, and then Maxi was up top by himself. So just a 4-4-1 instead of a 4-4-2 in defense. And then in offense, those two wingers would just push higher a little bit. So it was like a 4-2-2-1 kind of with still those two midfielders there, but they looked good. Like if you just flipped that game on, you probably wouldn't have noticed that Austin was down a man, just the way that they were playing. They're still pressing, not pressing as, as uh, aggressively, but still watching for those triggers. A lot of times a backwards pass, they would still push forward and, and, and uh, press Montreal pretty aggressively at times, even down a man. And so, I thought they did a really good job with their pressing movement, kind of knowing where to be, when to go, when not to go. And then the second line of players did a really good job of stepping up whenever they did play a ball through to try to beat the press of stepping up and kind of winning balls and cutting balls out in those moments. So I think this was maybe the best the press has looked all season, including when we were were down a man, like they just did a really great job. I I think partially Montreal's a little sloppy. They didn't start all of their stars. They have the Canadian cup championship coming up on Wednesday. And so they rested some of their guys. Georgie Mihailovic is out with injury. Uh, Lassie Lapinainen, who's usually their left wing back was out with injury as well. Um, So not their top team, but they were a little bit sloppy maybe which helped Austin a little, but um, I, yeah, I thought the the shape, the movement, and then the ro- defensive rotation after like those last minutes when we we're just trying to see the game out, a guy would have to chase a guy out of position and watching the midfielders kind of run back, like float back to the back line, follow runners, fullback stepping up, midfielders dropping in to cover for them. Uh, the, the center backs, stepping up to cover midfielders dropping in and noticing the long ball was was on and then dropping back to cover the long ball. I thought all of that was great. The whole game first half and second half. So a few shaky moments from, from Cascante, maybe one or two dangerous passes from Gabrielson, but aside from a few 
outlier moments, I thought the whole back line was really strong. And I want to give credit to Coach Wolf for this too, because we've had some criticism. We've heard some criticism about him like sitting on a lead, and you would think like because none of this, this, all the subs came after the first goal. So yeah, you think like up one nil down a man that it's the perfect time to like bunker and sit on a lead, but none of the substitutions were really defensive in nature, right? Every sub was a, basically a like for like. Ethan Finley for Owen Wolf, GT for Ruti, Felipe for, for Gundes, and then uh, Nick Lima for Hector Jimenez at the end. So it was, n- you know, not only the formation, but like just all the tactics and the coaching and the substitutions patterns were all to like continue to push forward and continue to like try to try to pick up goals and try to pick up the win even down a man and even when we finally got the lead. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was good. Um, I guess good foresight from him to know like this stuff is working and will still work down a man. So let's not change it. All right. Uh, any other points you wanted to hit? Any player reviews you wanted to go through before we move on? Uh, I just, I think, I, I think I mentioned this. I just watching the highlights. I was, it was amazed by how juicy, like in almost every chance and maybe literally every chance was through him in in some way and i know he's like that's not that uncommon but i feel like in this one when you talked about how we didn't have that many opportunities we took advantage of the ones that we had it was just incredible to see what he did uh did there and then the whole john gallagher at fullback experiment continues to continues to thrive i mean i think he had a strong match on both ends of the ball and I, do you think like the tactics they have are like playing to his strengths now and is that why we're seeing better out of him than Kolmanich or you think he's just better than John Kolmanich all the way around? I don't know if it's necessarily playing to his strengths. I think maybe he's adapting to it a little better than Kolmanich is. And so maybe that's to do with age. He he has four or five years on Kolmanich. Um, but he's, he's taken to it really quickly and in ways that you would expect a guy who hasn't really played that much fullback to struggle a little bit he's looked really good his positioning has been quite good for the most part and then he has that recovery speed to to make up for it whenever he is off a little bit so he's he's really impressed me all right uh we want to save some time to move on to a few patreon questions and then also the fc dallas preview but before that we are going to take a quick break so hang tight we'll be right back moon tower soccer is brought to you by the austin daily drop austin daily drop is a gathering of local news stories that are impactful and interesting served up as a quick digest from Chris Mosier, longtime trusted Austin broadcasting veteran who's been in the Austin media scene since 1993. Austin Daily Drop will cover everything from city government to local business to sports, to live music, to dining, to everything else in between. Uh, it's really great. I love listening to this show, catching up on all of the Austin news, uh, covers Austin FC, like usually does a little recap of Austin FC games and then a preview of whatever's coming up the, the next week. But a great little quick way to get your Austin news every Monday through Friday, usually posted by 8 a.m. sometime in the morning and usually is about eight to 10 minutes long. Yeah, I have a new, I have a new thing for eight that's eight to 10 minutes long now I've discovered. This is, okay. you know, because we have the short commute, we have a shower, and we have the me brushing my teeth while watching TikTok videos. And not eight to it. 10 minutes? Well, because I just like, I just have my toothbrush in my mouth and I forget <laughs> what's going on. 
and I get lost in TikTok, and all of a sudden I'm like, wait, what happened? It's a, you know, I've been brushing my teeth for 11 minutes now. So that is also okay. how that will happen. There be that I have, right. I have like one very clean tooth because I haven't actually moved my tooth much. <laughs> Your tooth is just gonna dissolve sometime soon. <laughs> all right. Well. Uh, in short, the Austin Daily Drop is a quick and easy and reliable way to get up to speed about everything that's happening in Austin. Give Chris 10 minutes and he'll give you Austin. We are doing another ticket giveaway thanks to Sage Wilson Property Group for the next home match. So we should probably decide when people need to enter, but before we figure that out live on the air, to enter, go to MoontowerSoccer.com, click on the free ticket giveaway link on the top of the navigation bar, or click the link in the show notes and fill out the form. Again, this is made possible by Sage Wilson Property Group. So if you're someone you know or in need of Sage real estate advice in Austin, you should talk to our friends at Sage Wilson Property Group. And Moon Tower Soccer, as always, is brought to you by our friends at FEF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FEF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community transparency and client education. And so I don't know if you saw this on the Facebook group, but somebody had asked a question the Austin FC Facebook group? Yeah, the group. Austin FC Facebook group. Yeah, somebody had asked a question and I posted like a partial answer and somebody said that they love the FEF Law ad so much they felt they should get hurt just so they could call <laughs> FEF Law. And I mean, is there a better endorsement than that? It's working. It's working. Uh, you can go to FEF.law to find out what makes FEF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's FEF.law. All right, we are back. We have a few Patreon questions we want to get through before we jump into our FC Dallas preview. Let's start with one from Elise. She came up with a game she is calling Keep Cuddle Trash, which is similar to something that we or maybe you and Chris Wellhausen did on the show. What was that version of the game called? Yeah, last year, Wellhausen and I did a little game called Start Bench Enger, which is obviously a <laughs> clever takeoff in the original Mary F. Kill. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> I would like to point out I wanted to interest Cecilio Dominguez even then. <laughs> I think it was harsh on all the DPs, if I remember right. I think I took out Cecilia, Ring, and Pochettino, all three. It, was, it, would, have, it yeah. would have been Ring. It would have been no. Ring. It was Cecilia and Pochettino, but I don't, I don't think I knew Who's... enough about Drewsy would have been the third by then. Was he there already? Yeah, he was there in August. Yeah, because we didn't have another DP. Yep. Then. Anyway, this, this is a different game. This one's called Keep, Cuddle, and Trash. And the options are Tick Martins, Pollo, or the False Nine Chickens. And she says, have fun. <laughs> this is a hard one, man. Okay. So I'm guessing Keep is going to be like, like the Mary option in the original game. I, I think so. Yep. Cuddle is going to be the F option in yep. the original game. And trash is going to be the kill option in the original game. So I am killing the false nine chickens because <laughs> they pick us to lose sometimes. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with that. I would also kill the false nine chickens. That is, that is coming from someone where they trust the false nine chicken sticker on their laptop. And I don't think I have that much of a problem with the false nine chickens as much as like somebody has to go. Yeah. And I, I, mean, I, have, a yeah. Deep I have a deep love for the other two options here. Okay, so who are you going with on the other two options? Well, I mean, Tick is so cuddleable that he's got to be. He's he's my cuddle option for sure. Oh, and I'm going the other way around. So Tick is the it's like Poyo is the party option. Okay. And therefore, 
the so he's cuddle your cuddle option. he's your cuddle okay he's he's like the one night stand whereas <laughs> tick is forever that's that's the ride or die right there like you know the teddy bear is always going to be there for you but if you're going as far as actual cuddle ability then your first instinct is correct because the pollo is made of rubber and <laughs> not hard very plastic. cuddleable <laughs> i mean i don't know i could keep pollo full of like tequila and just as, as a keeper just randomly like take shots okay. out of him yeah. and, and be happy with shots, it just drinking yeah. out of it all yeah. the time just, using just, it as a drinking ch- vessel just chugging out of pollo yeah i could do that <laughs> so i mean i'm i'm willing, I'm willing to keep him in my in the, my oddly defined set of uh characteristics for it and what so for your pollo would it be like og pollo or pride pollo uh i mean we i have more memories with og pollo just having been there whenever Fagundes' dad was drinking out of it after the Houston game. And so I think I'd have to go with that one. Well, I mean, we'll see. Pride Pollo could surpass it with time, but it's new to the game. So it has to prove itself first. Pride Pollo has got to be undefeated, right? Just, In what sense? Well, just Pride Pollo has only been around for one match, I think. And we've. But we've, I think Real Pollo it. was at the game. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Good point. <laughs> Good point. But speaking of drinking, we have a question from Ryan Parker who asks, what are your favorite hop squad brews? This is a good one. This is a good one. So I'm going to go with one. I like a lot of them, but the one that sticks out to me is a Sculptor Formosa. The coffee. Is that the, yeah, the porter? Yeah, the co- yeah it's the porter. That Which one is good. Yeah, that's that's the one I like to have. That's the one I often have when we're, when it's, it's, I think it's a seasonal, right? Because I don't see it all year round. Um, and I know when we're like when we're drinking beer in the stadium, drinking beer at the stadium, like in the winter, I feel like I've often got a sculptor Formosa with me. They have another dark one called the Murcielago, which means bat. That is like um, like a I think they call it a black IPA, maybe, but it's got like um, not quite barley wine. Like it's not that heavy and that intense, but it's got some some characteristics of that. I really enjoy that one. But I think my pick is going to be the uh, the Duchess of Oldtorf, which when they first opened, I loved this beer. It was like they called it a Roggen beer, which is like some type of rye beer. I feel like in this everything I'm about to say is no shade thrown at Hop Squad. This is what new breweries do. They kind of tweak recipes and figure out what they want a beer to be. Uh, I think they changed the recipe and the recipe they changed it to, I didn't like that much anymore. And so I stopped getting it. But after the Pachuca game the other night, I had one for the first time in many months and it was beautiful. Like, I think they've changed the recipe again and have settled on, uh, settled on what they want that one to be. And I 100% approve. So I'm going for the Duchess of Oldsworth. That's a winner. All right. Next question is from Sam Mintz. Uh, and they ask, what is your second favorite La Morga song? <laughs> so I written in, in, in a, a way that maybe there's an obvious first choice, but I don't know if that's true, but okay. What is, what is your second favorite song? No, I'll, let's go, let's go through our top two then. Cause I don't know that I, I necessarily yeah, say, say your top two. Okay. So I think Ole Ole Ola is my favorite. Yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, I'm gonna go with that one as my favorite. Oh man, then I'm gonna have to go. There's so many other great choices. I'm gonna go with El Equipo de la Cinco Doce. 
is my second favorite. Okay, yeah, it's a good one. Uh, my favorite one for a long time was uh, the one to the tune of Matador. So the Señores, yo soy de Austin, y tengo aguante, aguante. That, that one was, was my favorite for a that long was time. Gonna be, that was going to be my second favorite, and I audibled at the last minute and changed it to Selena song. That one's great. The Ole Ole one, I think maybe just because of the freshness of it and it's a little bit newer, I really like that one. I also really love like how that one starts. It just starts with the the repique. And so it's like just really impactful start to the song. So I think that might be my number one. My number two right now might be one they call Pepas, which is like this like reggaeton club hit which normally I do not like reggaeton. I do not like any music in general that was made to be played in a club. And so I'd heard that song like on the radio a couple of times, I think in Portugal, we went to Portugal last year, earlier this year, and it was on the radio. I was like, I hate this song. <laughs> and then I'd heard it a couple more times and I heard that the Morgo was going to be doing it. And they, they did a video that they posted online of them practicing it. And I watched the video once and I was like, okay, it's kind of cool. And then after I heard him play it in the stadium the first time, I was like, damn it, this song rocks. <laughs> I was like, I was mad at myself for liking it, but it's like, it's pretty badass. I love it. It's an excellent choice. Uh, Sam also has another question. Alternatively, which is more important, beating Frisco or beating Houston? And this is an excellent question. I What's don't it? know if there's a clear answer. I think it's an excellent question. Well, I think it's an excellent question because in terms, like, how do you define important? Yeah, like, I think I, this season for the table, beating Dallas is going to be more relevant toward us having the possibility of playing a home match. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, I think the answer is fluid, right? Like, right now, beating Dallas has it does more for Austin's chances of of staying higher in the table because Dallas is just below us. I think one or two points below us in the table right now. And so I think it's two points putting them five points below us is a, a big deal. Beating the, these other teams at the top of the table is big. As far as like fan relations go, um, maybe beating Houston would be more fun. I don't but think also, I don't think there's a maybe on that. Those guys are complete jerks. Like I absolutely <laughs> enjoy beating Houston more than beating Dallas from that perspective. And then also maybe from a pride perspective, beating Houston is more important because it looks like Houston is trending one direction and Dallas has been really quite good this year. And so there's like less shame in losing to Dallas uh than there is to Houston. Um but we've also never beaten Dallas, which I think we'll get into here in a moment as well. So that feels important at the moment, too. So we're going to settle on Dallas then? The I collective... think so. Right now. Right now. It's right Dallas. Now. Right now. Ask us again in a couple months. We may have a different answer, but for now, it's yeah. Dallas. Um, speaking of Dallas, let's move on to our FC Dallas preview. So Austin will be playing them Saturday, 8 p.m. at Q2 Stadium. I will not be at this game, Jeremiah. And where will you be, Landon? I'm going to be in San Francisco at a wedding. San Francisco. We're going to uh, one of Ashley's Peace Corps friends is getting married after three years of COVID delay. Uh, they they sent us their, their save the date like three and a half years ago. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> they've they've moved cities. They've had a baby, and have gotten like 
courthouse married since then. I think you get a pass on that. I think I think it'll be okay. Sometimes, sometimes some things are more important than soccer. Yeah. So uh, looking forward to this game. Um, I don't think we need to do a history lesson. We've no we've talked about them enough. Uh, just let's start with last season. How did FC Dallas do last year? Yeah, last season they were part of the uh, massive teams from Texas and California that missed the playoffs. They finished 11th in the West. So Luke, Luchi Gonzalez, who'd been there for a couple years, was out in, I think, September, replaced with Marco Ferruzzi until the end of the season. They did not improve a lot. They made a ton of moves during the offseason, and, and I think we covered this in a fair amount of detail on the Westward Ho podcast last week, if you listen to that. Uh, Ricardo Pepe, Shay Shay. And Ryan uh, Justin Shea, yeah. Justin Shea <laughs> and Ron Hollingshead were out. And then they made their biggest signing ever with Alan Velasco uh, in terms of money and Paul Ariola in. Even with those moves, almost everybody, when I went back and looked at the MLSsoccer.com previews, almost everybody had them pick like 10th, 11th, 12th and did not think that they would uh, improve very much on their place last year. But they have. They've looked really good so far. Yeah, I think one of the things that people maybe um underestimated was the improvement of Jesus Ferreira. He has been fantastic this year. He's uh leading is he leading the leading goals or is he in second place right now? He's got nine goals right now. I believe he's leading the league in goals. Um I'm pulling it up now. He's tied with Jeremy Abobasi with nine. But then if you look at assists then Ferreira is also like at Four, I think. So he's got four assists, which is more than in any other player on FC Dallas's team, while also leading the team and tied for the league in goals. So he's had a hell of a season so far. He's been really, really good. I think people expected him to maybe take a step up, but not to the level that he has. Yeah, he's got 13, 13 goals and assists. Sebastian Giussi with 11 would be the person in second in the league in that table. Um, yeah, Alan Velasco is a player I think maybe people would have expected to have a maybe a bigger impact. He's a young, he's pretty young. I think he's like 19, 20, something like that. So, uh, but Paul Ariola has also been really good. I think he's on seven goals and two assists or something like that. So between Ariola and Ferreira, they've just been a re- overall a really good team. Um, they've slipped a little bit as of late, though, haven't they? Yeah, on the last, well, the last four matches, they've lost three. Um, they most recently uh, lost the Vancouver Whitecaps 2-0 over the weekend, as Austin was the only Texas team to win over this weekend, which I think was one of the things that was covered on the Striker Texas weekly newsletter. So looking ahead of this game, Austin is going to have Danny Pereira unavailable, Johan Valencia unavailable, how does Austin FC line up against this? Who's who's your starting 11 here? So my starting 11 on this one is a lot of the starting 11 versus Pachuca, I think. And that is going to be... So I'm going to have... Gonna, well, I guess the, the, the similar Pachuca is I'm going to have Maxi and um, Gita up top. Gita? Oh, okay. Yeah, up top. And then Owen, uh, Diego... Ring and Juicy, and then Gallagher, Jimenez. So you're playing, you're, you're playing Owen centrally then. No, I'm playing Owen on the wing, and Diego centrally. Yes. Okay. Yep. And then the yeah you know, the full the the back four that is the back four. 
Wait, which back? Which back four? Because we have a few of those at this point. Oh, uh, I know. I, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> which which fullbacks are you picking? Gallagher, Gabrielson. Uh, oh gosh, Jimenez. Cascante. I think yeah, Cascante. Yeah, Jimenez. yeah, Jimenez. Yeah, I was gonna say Jimenez. I was, yeah, Jimenez with the way he played this week. I mean, I feel like he's he's done a better job recently than Lima has. So that's who I'm gonna start. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely picking Gallagher here. Uh, with wingers as dangerous as Velasco and Ariola. Ariola has been playing on the left recently, I believe, which would be on the the Lima Jimenez side. Without the last month, I would have said put Lima there so for a stronger defensive presence, but he really hasn't been that recently. And so maybe you do play Jimenez and just play the hot hand. On the left side, I'm I'm playing Gallagher. Uh with the like defensive positioning, Gallagher has shown that he's he's picking that up quickly. He's he's been really strong. And so with his positioning and the speed, and then also shown to be a threat going forward, I think you play Gallagher right now. He's he's in good form. He's confident. He seems to be feeling good in that position. I would start him for sure. Right back, I'm not so confident on, but maybe Jimenez. And then in the midfield, so you, you were saying starting those two strikers. I think the more likely scenarios are you play uh, Diego stays wide left, Uruti stays up top, Ring at the six, Drusi playing centrally, and then you could say uh, Felipe would maybe be a more like-for-like playing there in central midfield, and then Owen Wolf still starting on the right wing. I could also see uh, a scenario where you play Ethan Finley on the right wing and you move Owen centrally. As far as like form goes, we saw Owen play centrally against Montreal the other night playing down a man. He looked the part. like He did a good job. Uh, I think he's still. I, I've said this on the show before. I think he's a little bit, um, a little bit conservative with playing balls forward. Sometimes he'll see something on and think about it, and then not play the ball. That's fine if he's playing one of those slightly deeper roles. But as far as like between what we've seen from him and what we've seen from Felipe recently playing in the middle, I think maybe Owen's the better option there. Yeah, I wouldn't argue with that. I just maybe I'm overly responsive to like how bad Felipe looked against Pachuca, but um I don't know, Owen Owen's acquitted himself well. I know you really want to see Owen in the midfield at some point. Like I feel like that's a personal thing that you like to see just because like that's where he, that's where he plays I think that's a lot, where right? he's projected that's to where play. His natural position is right yeah. and ultimately. Yeah, but I mean I I'm not gonna be surprised or really upset either way. It's really kind of preference what looks good in training what wolf is trying to do um we'll maybe have different opinions on the picks after the game depending on how the game goes but as far as like when that starting lineup comes out i don't foresee a situation where i'm i have super strong feelings about anything that happens um as far as how this game's going to play out i know like last year especially the game at home that ended like was it five three Yes, it was 5-1 at one point. The pressing that Austin was doing seemed to be reckless at times. We were pressing with no real direction. Uh, it seemed to be led by emotion as opposed to strategy. And Dallas would then just like slice through us and play a ball forward to to Ferreira or Pepe, and one of them would score a goal in the end. 
we can't do that. Like if they're going to be much better at playing through our press than Montreal was the other night, I think we need to be smart with how we do it and a little bit more conservative with how we deploy that press. Not to say don't do it. I think I don't think we should sit back either. Like play play your game, but we need to be smart in how we press this team because they're good enough to slice through you and punish you if if you don't get it absolutely right. Uh, anything we need else we need to cover on this Dallas match? No, I'm, uh, no. Just we covered the thing that I'm excited about is just getting to go to a league match at Q2 Stadium on a Saturday night for the first time in a long time. I guess implications of Copa Tejas. So so far there have only been two games, right? Um, so it would be Austin and Dallas tied for the top here. So this will give us a clearer idea of who's going to be the best in Texas. And then the rest of the Texas games are over by August, right? Yeah. There we've got, cause we play Dallas again in what July. And then, yeah, it's a real, it's a real, uh, congested run. Yeah. So that, that race will be started and finished pretty quickly, but, uh, it'll be really a really sweet moment to beat Dallas for the first time at home. Like, and I think the t- the players believe in that too. Now, like I think they've been around enough. They've played these teams now that they want it. Like you could tell that they wanted it against Houston. And I think they wanted it against Dallas too. Yeah. It's a little bit of that history that I think that I think Josh talked about that last year, you know, that it does take time to develop real rivalries and game competition. And now you know, we played them three times, played both of them three times last year. And, you know, we're going to play them a couple times this year. So they're starting to get that experience with each other and really start to feel it. All right. Um, before we wrap up, we'd like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I, do you want to do this for one more week, our our review? Yeah, let's do it for thing. one week. I think we're okay. up to nine now, last time I checked. I think it was 10 whenever I counted oh, the other okay. day. Well, there but, you go. Um, 10. Uh, for those who don't remember or haven't heard, for every review that we get on the show – We'll be giving ten dollars to Austin Pets Alive, somewhat in in honor of having Poyo on recently. All of the money that the, for the merch that they sell goes to Austin Pets Alive. So we're gonna be doing the same thing. Leave us a review. Uh, we'll give ten dollars to APA. Uh, if you want to continue the conversation, come find us on Twitter at Elviahero87 and jbentley underscore atx, and then at Moon Tower Soccer, both on Twitter and Instagram. And then sign up for the Patreon. You can make us answer your serious or silly questions. We'll send you some really cool merchandise. Uh, another little plug. We just did a reorder of shirts. Um, if you didn't get a moon tower soccer shirt the first time around, we just did another second, very limited run again. So you can find a link to that on the website, moontowersoccer.com. If you wanted a shirt and didn't get one and then visit the striker, Texas, where you can get a 30% discount there with the code MOONTOWER22 with a capital M. That's MOONTOWER22 with a capital M. Jeremiah, what should folks look out for this week? Well, I've mentioned this a couple times already, but uh, Chris Bill's interview after the match with Danny Pereira where he talks about his red card and how he made it into Canada was a really good one. And then, so I hadn't read this last week uh, when we talked about it on the show, but you mentioned the the midfield drill that that they do with the midfielders. I thought that was an interesting one too. So go back and check that one out if you didn't. Yep. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer, where we will review the FC Dallas match and preview the first ever away trip to Charlotte and then cover any other Austin FC news that happens. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around.
Everything for Nothing, You Never. La gente. Oh my God.